The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. ready to get into the word. I want to get into the word uh, this morning. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, but I, I am aware of a lot of the, uh, the tensions politically and, and all of the activities that are going on. Uh, we're probably in for a, a roller coaster into October and the early uh, uh, days of November will be filled with all kinds of excitement. Now, excitement is, is one word for it. If I'm not careful, excitement turns to anxiety, and in some cases, even anger. That's what I meant by I want to preach to myself this morning, okay? Uh, We're going to talk about gentleness. I want to talk about gentleness. I caught myself. Have you ever caught yourself doing something, saying something, you know, and and you realize you're just like, that's really not very Jesus of me. I probably should rethink that. Well, I caught myself. I I was watching, uh, it was a political activity, and, and there's one person in particular that I'm not a big fan of, and he's talking, and, and I've, I've never seen somebody so comfortable to, to, to look you right in the eye and tell a lie to you, and, and he did that, and it was really, biz- well, he did it a lot, but there was one particular time he did it, and it was so brazen, and so I could, you could almost just feel the arrogance that came from this lie, and I caught myself, this was the, the thought, and I even uttered it out loud, okay? You ready for this? I'm about to confess, all right? This is confession time at Champions Church. This is, this is what I, I thought and said. I'd like to punch that guy in the face. Hey, I got an amen on that. <laughs> I'd like to punch that guy in the face, you know? Well, here's the thing. I mean, afterward, you think about it, and you're sitting there, you're like, oh, that's not very Jesus, you know? But, but Jesus had disciples that were with him who didn't know how to handle that kind of excitement or anxiety. I mean, they saw situations where, where people were, were lying or, or cheating, and, and they asked Jesus, hey, do you want us to go over there and, and call fire down from heaven to torch those guys? And, and Jesus told them, hey, listen, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's really kind of a wonderful thing. I've got to ask myself, in all of this that's going on, and all of the, the excitement or the potential you know, uh, uh, environment for anxiety and all of those things, am I of the right spirit? That's a really good question to ask ourselves because there's a tremendous amount of provocation. I mean, you, you, you can't turn on the television or the radio, or, or uh, I'm not a social media guy, but if you are, I'm sure you can't access social media without seeing some element of, of provocation concerning the political climate in our country. And so the question that I want to ask as we start into the message is, what spirit am I of? Now, when I'm saying that, I'm saying you could ask that to yourself, you know. What spirit are we of collectively? Now, I don't want to sit and throw rocks at one another and say, what spirit are you of, or I'm picking on you, or whatever. We're here for ourselves this morning to find out what spirit we are of. I want to get into the Word, and I want to give you a few things we're going to find. And I'm excited to find these things. We'll see them in the Scripture. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down. One, we're going to see who Jesus is. Now, I was very tempted to write what Jesus is, but I put who Jesus is on this, and we'll find that out together as we kick things off. Another thing we're going to find is what proves that we're wise? What proves that we're wise? 
Now, here's something about wisdom, okay? There's just something that you, you generally need to understand. Everyone thinks they're wise. I've really never met someone, you know, who introduced themselves, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a total fool, right? I mean, most of the time, we, we, we collectively think that we, we've got our act together and that we're wise. In, in fact, you know, I mean, most of the time, everyone, as the scripture says, is wise in their own eyes. Like when they assess themselves, they, they believe that they're making wise choices. I, I think when you look at, at the situation in our country today, you'll see a very divided group. And both of those groups think that they're right. There's none of them that say, well, I believe this, and I know it's wrong, but I believe it. I mean, they all believe that they're right. So, so wisdom is very relative there, but there's something in the scripture that will identify wisdom. And we're going to find that out and apply it to our lives. And I can see that in much of my life, though I thought that I was operating in wisdom, the evidence really wasn't there. And it needs to be there. We'll, we'll find that. Another thing that we're going to find is, is what makes you great? Now, there's a lot of reasons why you're awesome and you're incredible and you have tremendous talents and abilities and, and you're just so great as a person. But there's something that brings greatness into your life. And we're going to see what that is. So as we get into the scripture here, let's, let's kick things off. Well, I told you we're going to find out who Jesus is or, or what Jesus is, but I prefer who Jesus is. Uh, if we're going to do that, let's, let's go to the scripture. We'll look at the, the, the gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew. I want to look at chapter 11, and we'll look at verses 29 and 30. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, who Jesus is. Now, what I want you to understand as we find this, this is an important thing to, to understand, is as Christians, we're meant to be like Jesus. Identifying who Jesus is and how Jesus functions is not just to increase our knowledge or our intelligence about his identity as a person. Rather, it's revealing as his example to us, who we're called to be as people, our identity as the children of God. So let's find out who Jesus is here. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 29. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to you. And he's giving us this call, this instruction. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, we could really just spend the whole morning talking about this passage. There's a lot of things that you could discuss. I mean, this passage of Scripture identifies really the, the result of being partnered with or yoked to Jesus in any situation or circumstance. In fact, I'll evaluate my own life against this passage of Scripture. When he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, there are times where I don't feel like things are easy, nor do I feel like they're light. And I have to ask myself, am I yoked to Jesus through this? Or am I putting my trust in something else? Is there a reason why this feels so strenuous? Is there a reason why this feels uh, so oppressing or, or so depressing? But Jesus is telling us that to partner with him, to take on his yoke, it's not that the life or the call or the decisions or the choices are going to be easy or without difficulty. It's that his assistance will be very present and see us through. But I want to catch his identity as he reveals this to us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I stopped there and I'm so excited. That means Jesus is going to teach me. 
I don't have to assess myself for what I'm already capable of, but I understand and know that even though I'm, I'm, I'm not sufficient here as I stand right now, he will teach me. He goes on as he's sharing this call, as he's giving us this call, and reveals who he is. He reveals his nature. For I am gentle and humble in heart. The result of being exposed to this gentleness and this humility is rest for our souls. So I want to pause there for a second because the the point here, like I said, is not to just gain academic information about Jesus, but rather to see his example for us. I have to ask myself this, has anyone ever described me like that? Has anyone ever been in a conversation and been like, man, that Preston, he's gentle and he's humble in heart and just be around him is like rest for your soul. I'm waiting for my amen, honey. It's not coming. I mean, this is something that we ought to consider. It's easy for us to celebrate this passage of Scripture because we need rest for our soul and we want a gentle king who's humble. So we can, we can give that to Jesus. Yeah, you be gentle, you be humble, I'll be your child over here who gets ticked off at that liar and wants to punch him in the face. How's that? We got a deal? But the reality is Jesus is revealing his nature to us so that we can be transformed into that likeness, his likeness, who he is. I mean, I have to ask myself, do I live my life as if there is a daily goal to function as someone who's gentle and humble in heart and who brings rest or peace to the souls of those around him? Sometimes I I feel like a prison warden in my home raising children. You know, sometimes I I feel like a real, you know, jerk to guys that, that I work with. Some of them work for me and therefore, you know, there's a relationship there that can really be uh, abrasive at times. But to be like Jesus, no matter what we're dealing with, is going to require a gentleness and a humility of heart that results in those around us finding rest. And you got to understand that word rest biblically, especially from the Hebrew, shalom, is interchangeable with, with peace. I look at our political climate and I see an absence of peace. People are desperate for peace. We want peace. So much so that an entire political party is running on the platform, if you elect me, I'll give you peace. I mean, I've never seen a nation held hostage like that. Vote for me and then I'll take care of this. It doesn't work that way. There's a need for us to understand our call to function in gentleness, in that humbleness of heart that results in peace for those around us. I want to tell you something about gentleness. I want to just define it. Because we're going to talk about it. You're going to see gentleness throughout the scripture. And, and like I mentioned, I want to preach to myself this morning because this is something that I'm in desperate need of. By definition, gentleness uh, is, is defined as such. I mean, this is what it is. Not severe, rough, harsh, or violent. Not severe, rough, harsh, or violent. Now, before I asked, has anyone ever described me like Jesus? You know, wow, that Preston, he's gentle and he's humble in heart. And just to even be around him is to find peace or rest for my soul. I haven't had that description, but I have been described before as severe, as rough, as harsh, and as violent. It's very unfortunate. 
but I could be described in an antichrist way, you know, a way that is the opposite of Jesus Christ. It makes me want to stop, give pause, and ask, Father, what needs to happen in my heart and in my mind for this to no longer be how I handle situations and circumstances that I'm faced with? I mean, the rest of that definition, if you were just to read that definition, it would start off not severe, not rough, not harsh, not violent, and then it would go into what it, what it is to calm, to soothe, to dignify, or make noble or honorable. I have a call on my life to function just like Jesus, to enter into chaotic situations, aggressive situations, threatening situations, and the result of my entering into those situations because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life, the words of Jesus flowing from my mouth and the gentleness of his actions revealed through my very own, I ought to introduce or inject that which will calm, soothe, or bring dignity to the situation. Am I very good at that, honey? Sometimes, okay. Sometimes. So if we're short on gentleness here, I mean, there's something I want us to understand, and this is meant to be encouraging. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that's an exciting thing. That means if I don't have it, that I'm not just out of luck. It's not just a matter of, well, listen, if you're not a gentle person, then you're just going to be doomed to live your entire life as this person that's rough, that's violent, that's harsh, that's severe, that's not the case. God has sent the Holy Spirit for a reason, so that we can have the things that we lack in order to live out our lives in a way that glorifies Him and carries out His will. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 tell us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is functioning and active and alive and surrendered to and followed in our choices, our decisions, our words, the results should be the following. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. I could talk about all of those. You could chase uh, you know, uh, uh, nine different rabbits there and, and just keep going throughout these, uh, uh, this conversation about those different elements. But I want to stay on gentleness. Gentleness is something that the Holy Spirit obviously brings into our life. It's one of the resulting fruits of his presence and his activity in us and through us. I want to offer this to you as a passage of scripture. Now, you're going to see a number of things here. You're going to see six things listed out here, and there's one word in this passage of scripture that's going to identify that these six things do not come naturally or accidentally. You'll never stumble on to any of these six things just by coasting, but they're very intentional. The word that you'll see in the passage is pursue. Uh, let me give you the passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Now, it's talking about unrighteous things in the passage before in the context, so the passage opens up with flee from those things, flee from those unrighteous things. And then it says this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue, is, it's, to pursue something is intentional. It's an intentional act. 
I mean, if I were to be driving down the street and, and I, a, a police car pulls behind me and he's happened to be driving in the same direction, he's not in pursuit, he's just there. But if he's looking for me and he's trying to find me and he spots me and he flips on his lights and, and blares the sirens and guns it and floors it to get up right behind me, he's, on, he's intentionally on purpose pursuing me. These are things that are called to, or that we're called to pursue, which means that I'll never accidentally function in righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, or gentleness. Rather, my willful choices and decisions will be what brings these things into existence in my life. Emphasis for today's purposes on gentleness. Gentleness will not be an accidental result in my life. My wife says something that is profound and provoking at the same time, depending on what mood I'm in. But I'll be in a mood. Sometimes I use the word chippy. I get a little chippy. I'll be in this state of, 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 of anti-gentleness, that rough, that, that, that aggressive state. And, and she'll say this, and, and, and it's kind of funny. She'll just say, do you need a bubble? Do you need a bubble? Let me tell you what she means by that. Do you need to live in a bubble that isolates you from every outside provocation because you obviously can't handle it? The kids are loud. They're kids. They're loud. Get over it. Do you need a bubble? I mean, I have to ask myself that on occasion. Well, really and truly, the gentleness is something that is not going to accidentally occur in my life. There's not going to be a day where everything in my life lines up so perfectly that, that gentleness just happens. But rather, I'm going to have to assess everything that comes my way, everything that flows through the news media, everything that I deal with at work, everything that I'm facing at home, everything that we're, we're operating in as a congregation, pursuing the expansion of the kingdom of God that's met with, with all kinds of, of obstacles and challenges from the outside. All of these things will provoke. And if we need a bubble, that should tell us that we're not pursuing gentleness. Rather, we're just kind of hoping that it happens. In a number of, of conflicts or disputes, there's, I've always, you know, leaned on this. And, and this is weak tea, gentlemen. You do not win anything by saying this to your spouse. You, your wife, when she hears these words, all she hears is, you didn't think that through. <laughs> I didn't mean to be ugly. I didn't mean to be ugly. I've said that a number of times. In fact, if I could strike a statement from my vocabulary, I would probably choose that one. But I remember Ashley's response one time in the middle of a conversation, you know, and, and the reality is my intention really wasn't to be ugly, but that doesn't matter. I wasn't gentle. I was rough. It was, it was not gentle. And I remember just telling her, like, listen, I should get a pass on this because I didn't mean to be ugly. <laughs> and, then, and then she said this. Yeah, but you didn't mean to be kind either. I mean, the point is, is that, that gentleness will be intentional. We need to mean to be gentle. It needs to be an intentional act. Our, our words need to be filtered. I mean, I, I have to ask myself, how does this look? 
I know what I'm saying, but how does it look? Because if I look like I, I want to, you know, go Samson on everybody in the room, I mean, that's a problem. Is my countenance uh, uh, gentle? Are my words spoken gently? Is my body language gentle? There are times when I'm even talking with my wife where I make myself sit down. Because if I'm not careful, I'll stand and pace, and you would think it was like some kind of interrogation. I mean, it's really, it's got to be intimidating on the other side, and then I'll even notice I'm getting closer. And then before you know it, I'm standing over her, and I'm thinking, this is really weird. But that's what happens without intentionally being gentle. My default is corrupt. My default is not gentle. My default is rough, severe, harsh, or violent. I need to intentionally be gentle. I need to on purpose bring a calmness and a soothing to the situation. And I've been equipped with the Holy Spirit to do just that. I mentioned to you before we're going to find out what proves wisdom. What proves wisdom in our lives, in our words, in our actions? What proves wisdom? I want to give you a passage of scripture, uh, and I, I think it's going to uh, encourage some and maybe convict others, but all the same, God's going to make us better as we get into the word here and see this. James chapter 3, verse 13. I want to find what proves, what's the evidence of wisdom? James 3.13, it reads like this. Who among you is wise and understanding? That's the question. Let him show it or prove it. If you wanted to write the word prove there in your Bible, you could. Let him prove it by his or her good behavior and deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. In the gentleness of wisdom. I'm thinking, you know what? I could get behind that passage of Scripture, every word of it, but my brain hits a brick wall at the word gentleness. There are so many times that I've been so excited to prove that I'm right and you're wrong that I've hardly been gentle through that process. So many situations or circumstances where I treated an argument or a dispute as if it was some sort of competition that I was driven to win by every ounce of, of competition inside of me that I forgot that this is going to be proved out as wise through the gentleness of its execution. If I can handle myself gently through this, I'll prove myself to be wise. If I cannot handle myself in gentleness through this, it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, it's foolish. Gentleness. Now we're called to be just like Jesus. I want to give you a, a couple of passages of scripture here. I've offered this before in a message a, a, a while back. I want to offer it again because it's just interesting information. I'll give you a little interesting information here and then we'll, we'll move forward to the other side. You can go ahead and get that. That's a good ringtone. You know what I mean? I mean, at least it wasn't like the Macarena or something like that. They can really get wild. But gentleness doesn't mean weak. I mean, I've shared this before. I want to share it again because I think when we consider gentleness, the world would want to tell us that gentleness means you're, you, you've got to be weak in a situation. In fact, it's the opposite. Gentleness requires tremendous strength. It's easy for me to pitch a fit 
and be rough and severe. Very easy. Children do that. Babies do that. Infants do that. It's difficult. It's, it requires strength. It requires a tremendous amount of, of trust and courage that God is, is who he is and that he will do what he says he will do for us to function as gentle. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here. One, we've already identified who Jesus is, right? Do you remember that from the beginning? He is gentle. He said, I am gentle. Now, let me tell you what, what Jesus carries. Now, this isn't exclusive to him because he is the Messiah. This is exclusive to him because he is a son of God, a child of God, just like me and you. I want to tell you what he says here in Matthew 26, verses 51 and 54. Now, in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 51, Jesus is speaking, and, and he says this. He says, I can appeal to my father. I can call to God, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now, obviously, that's just one section out of that, that area of Scripture there, but I just want you to catch that. So you have this understanding that here is the one who is gentle. I am gentle. And he has at his disposal the ability to pull the fire alarm, so to speak, and call on the Father and have 12 legions of angels at his disposal. Based on the language at the time, the numbers, if you kind of do the math of those 12 legions, you would have 72,000 angels. 72,000 angels. Now, if you're picturing those fat little babies on that wall hanging in your bathroom, those aren't angels. I mean, in the scripture, angels don't have wings. And most of the time when they're viewed or they're seen, they're, they're seen as enormous. And they open up their conversation with, don't be afraid. I mean, you're one tough hombre when you walk in the room and the first thing you have to say to everyone is, hey, don't be afraid. In fact, there was a time when that was a goal in my life, right? I wanted to be so tough and so strong that every time I walked in the room, it was like, hey, guys, it's okay. I'm not going to kill you. I want to tell you what one angel did in the scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 19, it's around verse 35 where you'll see it, but, but the Assyrians are, in, are waging war. They're coming to wage war against the people of God. And this is not a good situation. And just to, to, to keep it short, because this really isn't the message, it's kind of a side note just to emphasize that gentleness is not weakness. The angel of the Lord, or one angel in this case, if we were to, to interpret it that way, in one night killed 185,000 of the Assyrians. In one night. The next morning when, when the sun came up and, and, and what was left of the Assyrian camp arose, they saw mass destruction. So if you do the math on that, Jesus, who could call 12 legions, 12 times 6,000, 72,000, and each one is capable, according to this passage of Scripture, of wiping out 185,000 people in one night. If you do the math on that, Jesus is basically saying, I could appeal to my Father and see 13,320,000,000 people wiped out overnight. That's not weak. There's absolutely nothing weak about that. But he's gentle. That's what I really just want to emphasize through that, is the idea of, of gentleness isn't about pursuing a life of impotence and weakness. 
Rather, it's how we walk in the power and the authority that we have been so blessed with by our Father. I want to give you some benefits of gentleness. I mean, these are meant to just encourage us to realize that I want to intentionally pursue this. I want this to be a part of my prayer life. Father, let gentleness prevail in my life. Whatever it takes, if I need to cast it down, I'll cast it down. If I need to take it up, I'll take it up. Just let me be gentle. Teach me how to be gentle. Show me how to be gentle. Lead me in how to be gentle. Uh, One of the results would be peace. Let me give you a passage of scripture here from the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15, verse 1. And this is a good one, you know, for, for dealing with provocations that we deal with every single day. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I mean, basically, what's being revealed here in the Scripture is that gentle words have the ability to disarm hostile situations. Somebody comes in and verbally pushes, and we don't have to verbally push back. When we can intentionally choose to be led by the Spirit to embrace the call of gentleness that's on our life, it's not weakness, it's strength. To not react to the situations around us, rather respond with a prepared and calculated response. In this case, we have the ability to disarm those hostile verbal assaults that come our way. Here's another result of gentleness being active in our life. uh, Forgiveness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Colossians chapter 3. I want to look at verses 12 and 13. As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. Now, when I read that passage of Scripture, I see the call. The call is to me, and I see the desire. The desire is that I be forgiving. But in order to accomplish this call to be forgiving, I need to put on those items that are present there. Included in that is gentleness, that heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and that perseverance to bear with one another. To function and to operate in those is to open the door for forgiveness to prevail. Past hurts, past wounds, past offenses can be overcome when we're willing to put on or take on gentleness. And then once that forgiveness takes place, there's room for restoration. That's the next one, restoration. You've got to understand something. Restoration is something that is in the Bible. It's a real thing, but we rarely talk about it. I think forgiveness can be such an obstacle that we focus on that and we feel like we've done good enough if we can come to the place of forgiving. But God is very interested in restoration. So let's just say I were to, to, to hurt or to, to take or to offend. You know, I could go to that person and, and, and ask for forgiveness. And, and basically it's, it's kind of smoothed over. Restoration then would be to build that person back up from how I cut them down. I can do that. I can do that verbally. For the guy that I, I snapped and called him a jerk and, and told him he was wasn't pulling his weight and all of that, and I really beat him down. I can go back and say, hey, listen, I lost it. That was wrong of me. I should not have said that. 
Will you please forgive me? And that person can say, yeah, I forgive you. Well, we've got forgiveness there, but now restoration. How do I build him back up to where he was before I cut him down? I want you to know something. I want you to know I've never seen such potential in somebody. And I trust you with these things because I believe you have the ability to do this. And you can notice there's a lot of people that I don't ask to do this, but I'm asking you because of your incredible capabilities. Build them back up. Restoration. It's important that we celebrate restoration with our children and our marriage and all of our relationships and in every situation and circumstance where it's needed. But restoration can be the result of gentleness functioning and operating in our life. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. If anyone, I love the word anyone because it's all inclusive, right? It doesn't leave, doesn't leave any people group or anything like that out. It's all inclusive. If anyone is caught in trespass, that's doing something wrong. It's rebellion. Uh, you know, I mean, most of the times we use a generic word like sin, and that's, that's fine. If anyone's caught doing what they're not supposed to do, you who are spiritual, restore. There's that word rest, restore or restoration. Restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking at yourself so that you too won't fall into temptation. I mean, I think that's really important here. Gentleness is necessary for restoration. If we don't have gentleness in the church, it's going to be very difficult to see people leave a life of sin and bondage and get restored and come into the fullness of, this, of the promise of God. We're going to have difficulty with that without gentleness. I love this passage of Scripture because it equates gentleness with being spiritual. I mean, let you who are spiritual go and restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. As a body, we all pursue being spiritual. You know, we go to the conferences and buy the books and go to the meetings and all of these things. And I think those things are great and they all have their place. But in this case, what I realize is if I'm not being gentle, I'm not being a spiritual man. I'm being a carnal man. An unredeemed uh, man in my mind in my heart, revealed through my actions. For me to be a spiritual man, raising my sons, for me to be a spiritual man in my marriage with my wife, for me to be a spiritual man pastoring this congregation, for me to be a spiritual man leading a group of men in the workplace, for me to be a spiritual man ever is going to require me to walk in gentleness, which won't happen by accident. It has to be pursued. Another benefit is salvation or, or, or people being led to God. Uh, repentance, you could say. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy. I have a copy and paste error here. 2 Timothy, it's a short book. You'll read it, you'll find this. With gentleness, correct those who are in sin so that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil that has, uh, having been held captive by him to do his will. Man, that is a powerful passage of scripture. I want to reread that again, and I want to make sure that we catch it. With gentleness correct those who are in sin, so that. So this so that now is revealing what all can come when we correct people with gentleness. When we're not harsh, when we're not severe, when we're not all of those things that gentleness isn't but whether we do bring the calmness and we do bring the soothing, that which, which, which brings 
a benefit to the situation, we have the ability to produce the following. When we correct with gentleness, we open up the door for this so that, so that God may grant them repentance that will lead them to the knowledge of the truth that they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil that has held them captive to do his will. I know a lot of people that are in bondage to addiction, that are in bondage to all kinds of nasty things, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, violence. There are people whose lives are led by habits that are ruling their thinking and being revealed in their actions. This passage of scripture should speak volumes to us. That in order to help them come to their senses, I mean, I'll watch people and I'll think, what are you thinking? I've had to say that to a number of men that I work with. What are you thinking? Or what were you thinking? It's a call, come to your senses. But rather than sit there and be harsh, rather than sit there and be severe, rather than sit there and be rough, I can open the door through gentleness for God to go to work for God to lead them to repentance and for God to make a way for them to come to their senses and escape that snare that has held them captive doing the will of Satan. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we, we begin to wind down. Another thing that we get as a result from, from gentleness, excuse me, inheritance. Inheritance. I'll, I'll, I'll read the passage to you and, and we'll, we'll break it down uh, quickly. Second, uh, excuse me, uh, you'll see it from the Beatitudes. When you see Jesus speaking on the Mount of Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew and other places in the Gospel, he says the following, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now this is a really great passage of Scripture if we have the, the right understanding. If we don't have the right understanding, it just simply is a little poetic. Maybe it sounds like it comes out of a, a Hebrew fortune cookie, you know. If Jesus had a Chinese restaurant, he might put this in a fortune cookie and it just makes you feel good after you eat and you pay the bill and go. But you have to understand something. We get so caught up on, on heaven that sometimes I think we forget how precious the earth is to God. I mean, we get so caught up in heaven that we make that our, our point in our, our church services and our, our outreaches and our evangelism. You know, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? You know, that's great. Well, you've got to understand something. Heaven's a temporary place. All of the, the people that are so blessed and, and so incredibly uh, uh, in awe of the presence of God who are in heaven right now are only going to be there temporarily. God is going to, according to the scripture, do away with heaven, do away with this earth, make a new earth, and that's where we'll have eternity. So the gentle will inherit the earth. That's a big statement. That basically means this is an eternal issue. Our ability to be gentle versus our, our, our weakness to be harsh and our default to be aggressive or violent is an eternal issue. It's the gentle that shall inherit the earth. And if any of that last part was confusing to you, call me up. I'd love to chat with you about it. It's in the book of Revelation. It's real, and it's going to be where we're at for eternity. I, I want to close here. But I want to close with something encouraging from the scripture that, that's important. I'll give you the, the passage of scripture that has the context from 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. And I'm going to tell the story and paraphrase and, and then, you know, emphasize the point of it and we'll, we'll close. But if you were to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 in your own time, 
you would see a, a passage of scripture or an area of scripture in which the prophet of God, and Elijah in this case, is in need of direction. Now, I want to just ask this question to kind of set this up. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you need direction from God? I mean, everyone in the room would say, yeah, that's me. I, I, I need direction from God. I, I face a lot of choices, a lot of decisions. Sometimes things look like they're going the way they should, and then there's kind of a 180, and it's shocking, and it doesn't turn out like I planned. I, I need direction from God in these things. Well, this passage of Scripture is for you. Elijah's in this situation. Now, the circumstances may be different, but the principle's the same. He needs to know what he's supposed to do next. And he comes to a place where, where he's led to, to this encounter with God, and it's on this mountainside, and he's in a cave, and he's told by God, I will pass before you. Come outside, and I'll pass before you. And then there are these powerful manifestations that take place. So I want you to picture for a moment this, this man, Elijah, in the cave, inside the cave, and he's hearing the commotion, maybe even able to see through the opening in the cave what's going on outside. And the, the first is this massive uh, gale force wind that's literally shearing the rocks off the face of the mountain. I've been in some pretty tough winds, but never anything like that. I've seen tornadoes rip towns apart. I've gone and helped cleaned up after the aftermath. It's devastating. You pull up, and as you're pulling up and begin to see the edge of the destruction, and you keep driving in to the epicenter where it gets worse and worse, your stomach just sinks. And it's a very powerless feeling, helpless feeling. And as he stands and he, he witnesses this display of strength, this display of power, wind so powerful that it's shearing boulders off the cliffs, he doesn't respond to that as if that's God. And then following that wind comes an earthquake. Now, I've been in earthquakes before, and let me tell you, I felt pretty uh, powerless after seeing the aftermath of that tornado, but I've never felt more powerless than I was in the middle of an earthquake. If a tornado's coming, you can get in your car and take off, and you can run from it. Where are you going to go from an earthquake? I mean, I... I I sat there and literally, that was the most powerless I've ever felt in my life when the ground beneath my feet began to shake and the house that I was in began to shake and the, wall fi the, the light fixtures are swinging side to side and you just hear that sound that sounds like a jackhammer. There's nowhere to run. And so that's what comes next. And Elijah, who's been told, come out and see me, come out and talk to me, isn't distracted by the earthquake. So that powerful wind and that devastating earthquake, these powerful acts are not being uh, identified as who God is. Following the earthquake, fire, devastating fire. We're not talking about a spark flicker and a flame. We're talking about scorching the side of the mountain. And he still does not identify that, that powerful act, as the identity of God. And after all of those things come to pass, what's described as gentle causes him to hide his face, knowing that he is having an encounter with the Most High. That which is gentle is identified as God by the one who is acquainted with God, the mighty prophet Elijah. 
And I think we get so distracted by the powerful, maybe so infatuated with the powerful, and maybe our, a desire to have power in our own lives cause us to gravitate toward those things so that we can see those things in our lives or maybe even through our lives, that we identify those things as, as being who God is. But remember, Jesus said, I am gentle. If you chase after the wind, you're going to miss me. If you chase after the shaking earth, you're going to miss me. If you chase after the scorching fire, you're going to miss me. But if you'll cover your face and open your ears when gentleness passes by, then you'll meet me. Gentleness. When I'm dealing with the things around me, I have to ask myself, am I wind to these men? Am I just wind to this congregation? Am I just wind to my sons and to my wife? Or, or am I the threat of devastation, the shaking earth? Or, or am I the threat of, of discomfort and pain and suffering, that scorching fire? Or can I bring the presence of God into this situation by entering into the room completely and totally in pursuit of gentleness? And that's how I want to be. It's how I'm called to be. And if we can follow the scripture together, that's how we will be. By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I know that God has great things for us. I mentioned before, you know, kind of what inspired the message was my own lack of, of, of gentleness, being provoked by outside influence, literally wanting to punch that guy in the face. That's not godly. Like Jesus would turn to those disciples who wanted to call down fire and say, you don't know what spirit you're of. That was my situation too. And I have to think that, that it could be your situation. I don't know. I'm not sure. But what I want is to be aware of the spirit that we're of. We are of the spirit of God. The Holy Ghost abiding in me and in you. The very spirit of Jesus Christ who is gentle. And I want to pursue gentleness. To seek after it. I want to pray and ask God for it. I want to seek it in the word. To apply it to my life. To see the results of gentleness. And all of the things that I would have spent. All of my efforts and all of my, my anger. And my aggression and my violence. And, and the roughness of my identity and personality. In pursuit of. With gentleness. I open up the door for God to go to work. On our behalf. On my behalf. And I just want that to simply be the cry of our hearts this morning. Father, make me to be gentle. Lead me into gentleness. And let gentleness have its way in me and through me. I want to pray and I want to ask God for that this morning. And there where you stand, you're welcome to be in a state of receiving or agreement, however you choose. But I want to trust and believe God to do a great work in us by His Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness. We rejoice in your kindness. 
we stand, Father, ready to repent of all harshness and anger, all that would be rough, that would be perceived as powerful. We stand before you ready to cast down those things. We see them as empty and carnal. And our heart's desire is to fulfill your word, to embrace, to accept, and to walk in that call of gentleness that you've placed upon us, that we might be just like our King Jesus in everything that we do, in all that we say. And we anticipate the results of gentleness as gentleness prevails in our hearts, in our minds, as it's released through our words and our actions. Let the result be that those around us would come to know peace. We ask now in Jesus' name at a time when it's so desperately needed, let us be the bringers of peace. Not through retaliation and not through reaction, but let us respond as spiritual children of God. Let us function and operate in gentleness in all that we do and in all that we say. We trust that this work can be done in us and through us by your word and by your spirit. And we ask, Father, as this word comes to pass in us and through us, that Jesus be exalted and that you receive honor and glory. We bless your name and we give you thanks for the gentleness that you give us that makes us great. We rejoice in you, celebrate you in all things. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we say amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.